2: Hello, hello, hello. It's me, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And this is That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. And this is a big one. It's our 10th episode.
1: Yeah. You know what's up. We basically are going to recap an episode of Law & Order SVU. Then we're going to do a deep dive into the true crime that it was based on. And then we're going to have an interview. And today's interview is, honestly, it's a barn burner. So I think we should keep this intro
2: short. What does barn burner mean? I only know like, it from big business. Huge. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> just like it's going to be I think it's going to rock you guys' uh, world. So, um, I mean, you've probably already seen our Instagram and know who it is, but we're going to make you wait. We
2: just wanted to say a couple of things. What do we want to talk about, Lisa? Well, I have a disclaimer um, in this episode. <laughs> I do say fucking a lot. And it's because it's the. Fucking worst crime I've ever probably researched. And so I get, you know, I don't have a great vocabulary. So that's where I go. I say fucking. <laughs> I disagree. I think you have a great vocab. But I don't know if you're
1: averse to the F word. I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but just keep in mind that Lisa, Lisa, well, I just said Lisa. Just keep in <laughs> mind that Lisa will be saying that word quite a bit.
2: Did I tell you that one time I was performing and what's the Belushi that's alive? Jim. He brought me up on stage as Leslie. <laughs> you are so not a leslie <laughs> no, no, no not at all but i will always remember that and we also need to give a sh- um a reminder that sister peg today is very very important you're gonna listen to this crime it's very heinous very fucked up and this man is actually up for parole Um, in March because of COVID and early release. So we have all the information right to the parole board. So just keep that in mind as you're listening that like this man might have a chance to be let out. Yeah, and
1: stick around to get our info about how to help us out with that.
2: And I know we need to keep this fast, but I do have to say I did post on my Instagram this week that I did see a coyote on my walk this week or a fox. I'm not sure, but it was very dangerous. Also could have been a large dog or cat. No one is really positive. (laughs) No one is positive. But it, it was
1: the story was harrowing. Lisa starts running like a serial killer is chasing her. It was it looked like the opening of an SVU. It literally looked like, hey, guys, what's going on? What's that up ahead? Character starts running. Phone drops cut to Olivia Benson like standing over the
2: body and honestly anyone that didn't reach out to me not my friend anymore how (laughs) dare you watch that and not text me I had to fast forward the stories to find out what happened I was just like I can't
1: watch this in real time (laughs) like it was stressing me out anyway speaking of stress I we we also just want to give a trigger warning at the top of this episode this is a this crime is truly a very very brutal um And yeah, just if anyone, you know, just to keep in mind, obviously, we always talk about upsetting stuff on this podcast, but just a little extra trigger warning for you today. And then um, it is Black History Month. Happy Black History Month to everyone. And we wanted to just give a couple of wrecks of black conceived and starring shows and media that we love. I mean, I am obsessed with Two shows, both on HBO, one called I May Destroy You. Or if you live in the UK, I guess this is probably available to you a different way because it is a British creator. It's called I May Destroy You. One of my favorite things I watched all last year. And then obviously Insecure, I think, is like the modern Sex and the City. But honestly, it's it's a little I I don't know. It's different and better. Um,
2: It's more relatable. Like, I've never watched a show that I'm like, this is this is my friend group. Like, I don't know. I feel very um, related to the character's. And there's a fellow comedian who's fully nude and we see his ass and that was thrilling. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Langston Herman. Oh yeah. And Reggie. I was thinking Reggie. I forgot we see Langston's (laughs) ass too.
1: So many butts. Um, and then I wanted to shout out two movies that I haven't actually seen yet, but are on my list. And I want to see ASAP. One is already available on Netflix called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I've heard nothing but amazing things about this movie. And another is written by two of our friends, the comedians, the Lucas Brothers. And uh, it's called Judas and the Black Messiah, which I believe is if it's not out, it's coming out in the next week or so on HBO Max. Uh And then speaking of Netflix, if you don't follow the strong black lead account on Instagram, I would follow it. It's really fun. And they promote black shows and memes. And it's really fun. I really I've been following it for a long time and I really enjoy it. Amazing.
2: And now I'll do my list. This is very fun. I feel like I work at Glamour (laughs) magazine. So my favorite Instagram account that I'm really obsessed with right now is called Embracing Black Culture. And it's just memes, videos, funny things. Just just fun. I I, have. was reading about how like Black History Month shouldn't just be about like trauma and watching things about, you know, enslaved people. You can have a good time and watch bad boys. And so embracing Black culture is great. Um, Also, I love Pat McGrath. She's a makeup artist and she's probably one of the best makeup artists to ever exist. And her makeup is very expensive, but she's very cool. And so you can follow her and look at her cool looks. I do have her lipsticks. No big deal. Pre-pandemic, of course. And then this wasn't on my list, Because Insecure was on my list But Langston Kerman has a podcast called My Mama Told Me and it's about uh, conspiracy theories. And then I want to give a shout out to my friend Larry Owens. He was in St- uh, strange loop that was off Broadway when life was open. And I saw it and it was the best show ever because I saw Hadestown that week, too. I am very cultured and Hadestown won seven Tony's. And when I saw Strange Loop, I went Hadestown, who like it meant nothing <laughs> to me anymore. And you obviously can't go see it, but the you can get the soundtrack Um, On you know and listen to the music and you can follow larry on on instagram and i'm sure when the world comes back he'll be doing something awesome with the show and michael r jackson who wrote strange loop um won the pulitzer so it's a pulitzer winning musical and it's so fucking good awesome and now let's get on with the show
1: All right, let's get into Slaves, episode twenty-two of season one. This is the season finale of the first
2: season of yeah, the show. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to be in season one, but also horrified, like a lot of episodes. I ver- I feel like I keep saying this, and I will continue to say this throughout the podcast. But um, this one has haunted me for life. yeah. This one is wild so let's everybody strap
1: on I mean I don't we don't need to say trigger warning you should know that this whole podcast is a trigger warning there's
2: like a ton of, of horrible shit in this episode but we're gonna try to make it light and fun for you um, and um, just so everyone knows Benson has um, shoulder length hair with Rachel style layers
1: yes and it's dark like it's probably the closest to her natural hair color like it's very dark and um, it's like before she started kind of doing like the tanning that she does I mean she has a little bit of a bronzer on now all the time right <laughs> okay, yeah. she's very pa- like light pale at the beginning
2: i don't i actually don't remember
1: i okay i'll yeah yeah Yeah. just agree lisa (laughs) she's pale yes (laughs) (laughs) okay so everybody this when you when you start this episode
2: this is the episode where they all get a psych evaluation and they're pissed yeah they're still like so how pissed. dare you say find out if we're competent and able yeah. to work as yeah, police. yeah, yeah.
1: how dare you care about our mental health like so that's where this episode is 21 years ago definitely not treating mental health the same as they probably would and this. the
2: psychologist
1: is broadway legend broadway star yeah. audra mcdonald yes a legend she is the psychologist that is is evaluating all them. So that's a runner throughout the show that we'll keep checking in on. This is pre iced tea. So it's Benson Stabler munch and Detective Monique Jeffries, played by Michelle Hurd. So she was in the whole first season. So basically, the cold open, a fruit vendor comes into, this, into the squad room. He's a Romanian fruit vendor. And um, a Romanian woman has like begged him for help and says, I'm trapped in a situation I cannot escape from, and hands her, hands him a piece of paper with the name Constanta Codrescu written on it. And he and says to the fruit vendor, tell her she was right. I need help. OK, and then he goes, this happened three days ago. So <laughs> it took him a minute to get to the cops he didn't want to even go yeah, to the cops. his, his wife, wife made him. as as so many things happen in life the wife makes the man do I it i
2: just can you even imagine a woman comes to you at a store crying desperate for help one name on a paper in your mother tongue and you are like i'll forget about yeah, it yeah
1: she's probably pranking me <laughs>
2: like i just can't this am
1: i on candid camera like come on so um the cops go to see this woman constanta cadrescu she completely denies knowing this woman at first She's then she's like, she's my niece, but we're not close. And then she says, her name is Elena Kodrescu. Um, she hasn't seen her in three years. She came to New York on a student visa. Now they're calling it NYU. I realized kind of at the beginning that they're probably allowed to refer to NYU. If it's just someone coming to, to the city to go to NYU or like, Oh, I'm a, I'm an NYU grad. Like they can say that they can't have like rapes and murders take place there. That's why they uh, happen at Hudson
2: university. That's amazing. Amazing little tidbit.
1: Yeah, I think that's what I think we'll have to ask. Um, like a writer or producer, once we get one of them on this, on this pod, Benson gives Constanta her business card. Like if you come up, if you think of anything else, call me. And, uh, we find out that she never showed up this girl never showed up. Elena never showed up to NYU uh, at all. So meanwhile, Craigen is getting grilled by yes. Broadway legend, Dr. McDonald, literally in my notes also says Broadway legend in caps. Kragen <laughs> gets a little bit hyped about his alcoholism. He's like, yes, I get the urge to drink. Um, and then she goes, do you think you will? And he goes, ask me tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, that's one day at a time. That's the whole thing with alcoholism with, with AA. Yeah, that's Constitution, a man who has a problem with alcohol and works se- looking at the most heinous crimes day in and day out. Uh, Benson and Stabler are questioning this like wacky balloon animal clown who's got like a deep New York accent and who will not stop to talk to the cops like. is Well, that's
2: a classic, but yeah. it's OK. You're carrying lumber, you're washing a dish. But to make balloon animals yes. nonstop yeah. while talking about <laughs> an endangered woman is um, that's a that's. It's a nice standard for season one. (laughs) 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 And he's like, yeah, I've seen Zerd.
1: Like, he's so New York. He has seen Elena. He says she's a nanny. But he also said that she seemed like totally fine. Meanwhile, the cops get a call that a body's been found off the Henry Hudson Parkway, uh, the West Side Highway. Uh, Shout out to my old highway. And the body has Benson's card in their pocket. It was rolled in a rug and thrown out of the car. I mean... The Henry Hudson's like a very busy highway. I don't know how you just like stop and throw a body off the side, but OK.
2: Maybe in the middle of the night. Is it always busy? possible?
1: It it always has people on it. I've taken I've been taking cabs like bombed home on that highway for sure. But the body is Constanta, the person they have literally interviewed earlier that day. That's I, a pretty quick turnaround. I also
2: have an issue with this scene. Um, They like try they pry her jaw open. And well, yeah, that's the next scene. Oh, <laughs> the Foley artist got a was really working <laughs> hard. They, they, I don't understand why we needed to hear as the jaw gets creaked open.
1: Yeah. So Benson and Stabler go to the medical examiner, which by the way, this is pre Tamara Tooney, and the medical examiner is Lance Reddick, famous actor from corporate on Comedy Central, from Bosch. Love him. You
2: love Bosch. I love Bosch. You need to have a Bosch podcast. Oh my God, i not a another Bosch person. I'm doing it.
1: <laughs> That's because everyone that watches Bosch is my parents' age. But like it is, I like it because it's in LA and I get to like see a lot of LA. I like the twists. It's fun. Watch The L Word. Oh, yeah, I should. I absolutely should. My best friend's been telling me to watch that forever. Happy birthday to Hertz today. Anyway, Warner doesn't join until season two. So we've got uh, a cute, skinny, young Lance Reddick. Uh, and he basically is telling her um, something has stopped her heart. Only an injection would make that possible, but he can't find the puncture. Somehow Benson is like, What about under the tongue? I don't know how she knows that. They never really explain it. She's a great detective. Hey, yeah, but wouldn't a medical
2: examiner know to check under the tongue? Maybe he's better. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's Tamara. why Tamara <laughs> Tooney gets brought in second season. So um because she rolls her eyes when it's there. It's yeah, like, look, at she's this
1: like, yeah, I could have told you. That. Yeah. Like, so there is a puncture wound under the tongue. Yeah. So uh, this is
2: where the jaw gets. And then pried the, open. So, yeah, when he
1: pries open the jaw, Lisa did Ugh. not appreciate the Foley work happening there. It's
2: just this <laughs> creaky, horrific noise yeah. that is making me like twitch right now. Yeah. We did not need an exact, an exaggerated jaw open noise. <laughs>
1: well, it stuck with you, didn't it? It did. So it did. maybe the Foley artist is going for an Emmy. So we find out that like Elena's uh, father was killed. Also back in Romania. Munch gives us a little all roads lead to Romania joke. Elena turns out met an American businessman in Bucharest who brought her over to the United States, and Constanța and Elena fell
2: out over it. Like they haven't spoken in all this time. And the thing is, I I want everyone to be safe. The I'm on the aunt side. You don't you don't trust an American businessman anywhere who's bringing you over to the United States for free out of charity. No, 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 no. No one will bring you to a free country for fun or a favor or because they think you're a cool girl. No. I, you know, and you don't ever want to blame the victim, but it, and it happens so often, but because it cause yeah. people are desperate and they want to be here. But do not trust an American <sighs> that's trying to do something nice for free. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's us. Um, <laughs> Put it on a T-shirt. Do not trust <laughs> an American who's trying to
1: do something for you for free. So we get a quick, uh, we get a cl- quick glimpse of Benson with the shrink. She admits she's the child of rape, which we've heard earlier in the season. And um, when the therapist asked her, "What would you be if you couldn't be like a sex crimes detective?" she's like at a loss, and honestly, looks like she's about to cry because there's like nothing else she could do. Honestly, I mean that's how I, I feel with comedy. Yeah, I stand a woman who knows her career path i think it's fine i don't know why that's such a huge because they want women to have kids you know that's that's it's constant they're just like why do you do this what would you have been a kindergarten teacher yeah like what it's weird so makes okay so we're back at the lab constanto was found in a five thousand dollar rug so that's like a little bit of a red flag right there that's like you know no one's wrapping up victims in a 5k rug
2: i don't know how much rugs cost well,
1: I the rugs know. in my house are $400. I mean, they're not a lot, but, but that sounds like a lot a $5, to me. $5, no, but a rug, you're on it every day. It's supposed to last you for years. Yeah. You know, $5,000. That's a, that's an expensive rug. They find one hair in the rug. They go to air Bucharest, not a real airline and find Elena's, uh, flight from three years earlier when she arrived and they, uh, the person that purchased it for her was named Randolph Morrow. Okay. They go to his, they go to the house of him. They find Elena. She is acting like cool as a cucumber. Nothing's wrong there. She's there with a kid.
2: I'm the nanny. I got to make dinner. I don't know if she's cool as a cucumber. She, okay. There's an underlying of nervous yes. energy. She's yeah, like, it right. must be ready. He, he's going to come home. I have to clean. He doesn't like people here. I yeah. can't outside. you. need to leave. Well, That's you're, not but cool. you're also you, you know what happens in
1: this episode when you're rewatching. <laughs> I'm just saying like
2: she, okay, she's not cool. on the cool of the cucumber scale. She's cool at like a be 30. Like, listen, He's coming home at six. You can talk to him too. We're fine. I need to, you know, come cook dinner. <laughs> this is Lisa's with me. version of a Romanian nanny
1: being cool. <laughs> That's her your impression. Listen, she just was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's fine. Like a little bit like that. But yes, you do, you do sense like you sense that she's really nervous and wants them to get out of the house because she's gonna get in trouble if like they come home if and dinner is not yeah, ready. Yeah, and dinner's not ready. So, Audra McDonald brings up to the cops, like, oh, she could have Stockholm syndrome, which we all know about Stockholm syndrome. And I get they explain it expositively, like, they do a full exposition on the show to explain what Stockholm syndrome is. But it's like four people in Stockholm were taken in a bank robbery, kidnapped, and like within six days, they were like completely emotionally fused to their captor and like refused to press charges and testified in their captor's defense like you know
2: I didn't know it was called Stockholm syndrome because of a pl- Stockholm yeah. the place
1: Yeah Stockholm Sweden yeah wow yeah. So that's where that came from. They talk about how the way you kind of get someone to submit to you is like threats of death and violence interspersed with random acts of kindness. So it's like you're you're dying for that person's like kindness and affection because their violent side is so And they're, you're,
2: they're also become your lifeline. Yeah. Like they're the reason you have food ever. Right. Or you have uh, anything. Yeah. And so um, you're like love to them becomes an act of survival mm-hmm. yeah. and not weakness. Right. So we see Munch's session with the shrink. He's
1: making jokes about blow up dolls. I mean, you know, Munch is He's like, the least fuckable yeah. of the crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I would say that's true. Munch I is the least Reagan fuckable. Over, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. You're right. You're right. Over Munch. Munch would just be like making weird jokes. I feel, yeah. I think you'd have to be on unta- top. I think it's like a lot yeah. of effort. He'd be like reading a book. But we do learn, I'm sorry, that Munch has been married multiple times to beautiful, dumb, spoiled women. Yeah, and we, we meet wild. his wives throughout. Like,
1: Carol Kane plays one of his wives. Yeah, but
2: she doesn't seem like a dumb, spoiled no, yeah. brat. She seems like a they, lunatic. I think
1: they move away from the narrative a little as they introduce those wives later in the season. But I just
2: love this unfuckable, melancholy, like, uh, conspiracy detective getting, like, young 25-year-old dumb bitches. I know. Like, I just don't get it. Yeah,
1: and it's like, you don't have the money for for those dumb women like they they're gonna want more (laughs) yeah and that's probably why he ended up in divorce anyway um back at the Moros uh brownstone the neighbors say that elena has only been with the family for a year they say that the wife is a vet and that the husband is a wall street guy so now we finally get to meet randolph morrow this guy who is the uh one who bought Elena this ticket. It's Andrew McCarthy, classic actor from a lot of movies I grew up with weekend at
2: Bernie's. That seems like a comedy. And then this he is terrifying. hair stands up on my, yeah, arm. but I've, I've actually seen
1: him in a stage
2: production of uh, a
1: long day's journey. And tonight he's like a dramatic actor. So I think that he's very what like New
2: York theater. A little bit, too. And that's like, oh, how I he mean, gets I hope that. he's not as evil as he portrays. I no, hope it's no. just acting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you sense evil and vicious from his immediate moment on screen. Yeah, he's definitely gives you a control
1: freak psycho vibe like the minute you see him. Like yeah, he, he makes the secretary. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't like where Benson sits. He keeps trying to get her to move because she didn't sit where he wanted her to sit. Like, it's creepy. And then his secretary comes in and he does that whole what did we say about the blinds? Like, I hate like when someone talks to you like you're a child, you know, like even though I would never talk to a child that way. like, what did we say about the blinds? I'm going to say that to my kid. What did we say about throwing our milk across the room? trust me it doesn't work (laughs) she does it every goddamn day All right. less about me so on the way out of the office they question him in his office and he's very confident and is just kind of like what's the big deal Elena came to work with us my neighbors don't know anything to just say that she's been around a year like they don't know anything so uh, Benson on the way out plucks a hair right off his suit just is like oh you got something there and plucks a hair you have to have the root intact so it's like a Little
2: crazy that he had a perfectly intact hair with a root follicle attached on his suit. Well, I also feel like I'd be a bad detective because I thought she was just fucking with him because he's so in he, order yeah. and just like to like make him a little. What it was, it was and a double. To also get evidence. Like that is why Olivia is. That's Olivia. why she's. That's why an she's an lieutenant yeah. now. Yeah. It turns
1: out Constanta was killed with something called, I think they're saying euthanasia.
2: Like, it sounds like euthanasia with a B in front of it. Euthanasia. Uh, oh, we missed a Maloney joke. I want to say in the office, um, he goes, when they're leaving, he goes, but the couch was comfortable <laughs> that she refused <laughs> to sit on. Um, so I thought that was yeah, funny. Are, I don't know if it was worth jokes. interrupting you, but, we no. yeah, You know, we giggle. You know. <laughs>
1: Uh, okay. So Constante was killed with something called butthanasia, which is used to put animals to sleep. So now it's not that hard to put two and two together that this man's wife is a vet. So they go see Dr. Morrow. She is completely fucking zonked on pills. Like she just seems like a total like space case. She's very cagey about talking about Elena. She's like, we have our routine. Like she's just very not doesn't seem like a, normal, a person in her right mind the vet tech the vet assistant is michael kelly aka doug stamper from house of cards if you watch house of cards and i would have sex
2: with him yeah he's in a lot of stuff he's and in he a lot was of a stuff. bad guy in house of cards and i was still like you can he get can it get and it. he has it. that silly bald with the hair around yeah, hair yeah, co- what yeah, is yeah. that called i always just call it like
1: bozo the clown but his okay. isn't really like that because it's not fluffy but i don't know it's like yeah I think guys should just go completely bald That This is a tangent, but you should just go completely bald If that's know, what's happening to your I some people's heads
2: are really oddly shaped And I understand their grasp for their hair
1: I guess, anyway um, And also, Michael Kelly later plays a guy Who rapes women on a schedule to impregnate them Later in SVU Ooh. Do you remember that episode? I, now that you mention yeah. it These women keep getting visited by the same rapist on a, on a calendar, and it's because he is like Master race trying to impregnate Like, do eugenics, essentially And like, and the thing people. is, I
2: know you don't love when they bring people back, but this vet tech could be the same person. <laughs> He takes a complete turn. Yeah, they could, I guess. Uh,
1: We see Jeffrey's in with the shrink now. She's like really jazzed up about having a near-death experience recently. She's like, this job basically ended my personal life and I was celibate up until this incident where I almost died. And now she's like seeing a bunch of different men and she volunteers a story about going home with a guy that she meets at a bar who she knows was a suspect in a case recently
2: and they get mad at her for this but like if the person is found not guilty anyone brought in you can't date like a suspect like what if i just feel suspect is a real broad thing but maybe those are just the rules yeah maybe those are the rules don't fuck suspects also if you couldn't fuck suspects you literally couldn't fuck like anyone in new york yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the vet tech shows up, he, Michael Kelly shows up to tell them that, yes, Dr. Morrow has been stealing butthanasia from work. It's like, I guess, because being a veterinarian is a stressful job, like they steal drugs a lot. Dr. Morrow, they get her in for questioning and she's like sexuality is about reaching our limits and transcending them. Like she seems like a woman in LA that would sell candles or something. Um, Dr. Morrow admits to sedating and killing Constanta. She's like, she came to our house. She threatened our routine. So she killed her, wrapped her in a rug and dumped her off the West side highway. I don't know how you could do this when you're like basically in a K hole, but I guess she somehow did it. The cops run to the Morrow house to arrest Randolph. They break in. He's burning photographs that are like really graphic of torture and they find a torture closet in the bathroom which is like just you know a face mask and like shackles and all this they bring morrow in for questioning he is like yeah he's just like douche chills like he just really is like so creepy with how confident he is and acting like he's done nothing wrong Olivia leaves so that Stabler can take a run at this guy. And I think it's notable how many times that happens. Like there are so many times throughout the course of this show that Olivia has to leave the room because being a woman is just aggravating the man so much. Like just her being a beautiful woman, I think, who's smart and in their face it's like they disarm men by having them just go head to head with Maloney because like
2: the woman is like oh yes Maloney yeah. always is like oh I fucking hate that yeah, dumb that bitch. Broad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. and how stupid men are that it's like of course Maloney would hate this woman partner and like yeah. they give in right away to talk shit of about course. a Of course they just are like
1: misogynist psychopaths who need to talk man to man with Stabler so he tells Stabler how he loves to torture women but it's consensual so um, a judge will not grant the warrant and said that NYC and New York is filled with whips and bondage. It doesn't mean there's a crime. Dr. Morrow is in the hospital detoxing from a long ketamine addiction. And uh, Benson and Stabler break her down by saying that her daughter could be the next victim.
2: Yeah, because we learned the wife was uh, part of the torture. Like she was abused. Yes. And then it she moved was like, down the reason I allowed
1: this is because it moved him off of me. And then the idea of him moving on to her daughter is so scary to her that she um, gives them information. Benson and Stabler are still interrogating Andrew McCarthy and they're like taking turns basically almost kissing him. They're like right up in his face and like he keeps moving his head side to side and they're both right there with their mouths like right next to him. Um And he brags about how he controls Elena, how she doesn't eat, sleep, or urinate without his uh, his say-so. And then Stabler kind of messes with him a little bit and is like, we forced you to move her, didn't we? And he doesn't, re- he smirks. So basically he's talking about her in the present tense so we know she's alive and we know that she is probably in the house because he does not feel nervous about the whole moving elena thing
2: yeah and it's it's an arrogant smirk it's this thing of like oh you think i moved her yeah i'm better than you and that and that's it's the hoisted by your own petard and then that's the smirk that gives stabler the recognition to yeah. be like oh never mind yeah we didn't fucking yeah, yeah. it's amazing you love that phrase <laughs> I do because it happens so much i mean that's like it's the best way to describe it when your confidence is what brings you down yeah so they basically rush back to
1: the Morrow house. They pull like a bunch of wooden like slabs off of the bed and pull out this coffin where Elena is being kept under the bed. She's like
2: gasping for breath, and so they've rescued Elena. So that's and good. what's so heartbreaking of this scene. So we realize she's been kept in a coffin un- a box, wood box underneath the bed. And her first reaction is I was quiet. Tell him I was yeah, quiet. Yeah, yeah. I didn't make any noise. Yes. I didn't make any noise. She's just, tell him I didn't make a sound. Yeah. Ugh.
1: So um, we wrap up the episode with Stabler is in with his session with the shrink. And, you know, he says, him. you ever see a child with no, <laughs> with no soul? I have. Okay, so that's just a little bit tough way to go out. Um, and he does say he thinks about killing the people who do the crimes that he sees every day. So then the shrink we and end he with, thinks therapy is a witch hunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we end with Aldra McDonald going up to Kragen with her findings and saying um, everyone was mostly okay, but I have to recommend that one person be removed from duty immediately. They want you to think it's Maloney because what he said is kind of crazy that he dreams about killing killers, but actually that's probably normal. And we find out at the first episode of the next season, season two, that it's Jeffrey's. She is no longer, I guess, trying to fuck suspects is a uh, deal breaker at the old SVU. And at the so, end of that
2: episode, Ice T walks in in a, a bulls outfit colored and cool thing. And it's like, What's and up, he walks guys? into the squad room and into our hearts. And he <laughs> never and he hasn't left since. <laughs> no, and we, the, what's wild is, you know, it says it's haunted us forever, that box under the bed. But when even discussing the episode, we don't see the stuff like even the whole talking. It's not like we see her getting whipped and chained and it's still something that's so horrific. Yeah, to Yeah, it's like, horrific that, idea, that she like was under that bed for like the, Well, also, you have to think back to
1: the fact that they said that she wasn't working for them until for only a year. So for the first two years he had her, he was probably breaking her down. So that she would be able to nanny his kids and be out in public and not flee, yeah. like turning her into a slave. So that's like so. This horrible. is the
2: episode. Where it's like what you don't know is what's the scariest. Like because the actual episode is not the except the jaw being open, but yeah, it's not that graphic and it's not that violent. It's just like, it it breaks my spirit. Yeah well well anyway you're gonna get
1: (laughs) 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 get ready to have your spirit broken even farther as lisa takes us through the true crime that this was based on uh we'll be right back
2: Welcome back. This is in, an insane crime, I'm Colleen Stan. And before I start, I want to say she is like the bravest, strongest human I've ever ever read about in my life like everything she's been through and then i watched the documentary girl in the box there's two parts and she goes back to the places where she was held captive she goes back to the houses she goes through everything she stood trial for three days like said everything that's happened to her she has gone back to his parole hearings to speak like the fact that she has a life a child relation i mean it is like truly amazing so before i start i just want to say colleen stan is like shout out you're a stan for colleen stan the yeah yeah she's like incredible um the other thing i want to say that i hate is this guy mr hooker his last name is hooker um he is up for parole early in march because of covid and they're trying to release um Popu- like older populations for COVID, and I hope this man dies. And well,
1: so, if you think this man deserves
2: parole after you listen to this, yeah, we'll put in our notes the way to contact the parole board and what to do to make sure that they don't release this man. I don't think they I will. can't imagine the judge when he was sentenced. Um, He said, I would like to say I consider this defendant the most dangerous psychopath I've ever dealt with. So I don't think they're going to release him. But just the fact that he's up for parole in March and with covid and I just don't I don't know. Yeah. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous for everyone. And I know because he wasn't supposed nervous. to be up for parole
1: again until like 2030. Yeah. Yeah. But walk us through what happened so that so we know about this
2: dangerous psychopath. Colleen, it's the 70s. Here we go, She's baby. a free spirit. Yeah. Um, she goes to live in Eugene, Oregon. Beautiful part of the country. Yeah, she, I've been to Eugene. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's like a hippie central. Yeah. I mean, she had kind of a chill life there. was, She said average life. Um, This happened in California. Um, You know, there was a little bit of like She had a sister, she had parents, the parents were divorced, shit, which mild drama, you know, she fell in love, got married, divorced really young, but nothing that crazy. Um, and whatever. So it's the seventies, she's in Eugene and she decides she wants to surprise her friend for her birthday, 400 miles away. And she wants to hitchhike and hitchhiking. Wasn't that crazy as it is now. Mm -hmm. It obviously is a dangerous thing to do, but it wasn't, that wild of an option. I think the '70s are the reason that people don't hitchhike now because yes. everybody
1: was just doing it
2: willy-nilly, and it's truly like just serial killers, just out fishing, like, yeah. And, and I related to this and it was like, this could be me. Cause I would want to surprise my friend for her birthday. Yeah. That's something I love doing. You would doing. take a mega bus. You wouldn't hitch. Yes. I would take a <laughs> mega bus, but I understand this. And what's scary is well, we'll get to it, but the surprise element. And I remember one time I felt unsafe with a fret, a, a few of us on the trains platform and a man was being weird. And I made sure to keep saying, text the cousin make sure she knows there was no cousin right but we were like make sure she knows we're coming she knows we're meeting her and then the guy we were with fucking idiot was like what I thought we're going home it's like (laughs) we're trying to save ourselves but um, you know you don't want and you want to make sure that people are waiting for you
1: know where you are and are expecting you Yeah. because I
2: bet they were like what are you up to and she's like I'm surprising a friend and that's like horrific yeah because it's like no one knows that you were on your way it was a surprise she there were two other offers to get into cars one was like a giant group of guys and she's like no thanks, no thanks. <laughs> um the other one was this couple and they weren't going far enough so she's like don't worry about it and then this couple it was a, 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 a young man a woman and a baby so of course that seems safe you know it's they a family a baby? they had a baby with <gasps> them and so it's an eight eight month old baby it's a blue dodge and so she goes yeah i'm gonna get into this car. This mm-hmm. makes sense. She did have an uneasy feeling. She wasn't feeling good. She saw him look at her in the rearview mirror. She didn't like it. And she kept rejecting those feelings. Yeah. And she kept saying, They're nice. They're nice. Shut up. Shut up. And this is so important. I feel women do that way too much. Yeah. I've done it and, and things that aren't as um important as this, you know, but well, actually a tattoo for life where you ignore your instincts. And yeah. we're taught to ignore our instincts or that we're and Just don't be rude. Yeah, Yeah. like, don't don't be like, make the make the
1: situation like easy, like, okay. And she
2: said they asked a lot of questions about her. She didn't Mm -hmm. say anything about them. I can see myself doing that, chatting, chatting, chatting and not asking a question. So, you know, it's it's really hard to watch this and see how easily it could happen to so many different people because I for sure can see myself just answering questions and not asking anything back. So she went to the bathroom in the gas station and she said she heard a voice going, jump out the window and run, jump out the window and run. And she ignored it. And she says, you know, she relives that over and over, of course. Um, and then when she got back in the car, she saw there was like a wooden box in the car that wasn't there before. Watching the porn I watch, I know exactly what this is. And oh my it God. is a wooden head box. But she doesn't know that. And so she goes, that's weird. Then the, f- the family goes, we're going to go look at some ice caves, which seems you know, fine. We're in whatever. She goes, okay. I didn't know there was ice caves. I don't see any signs. They must know where the nature is. Um, Janice goes to the stream with this baby. He jumps in the back seat, knife to her throat, um, handcuffs her hands behind her back. She was so scared. She could not believe this is happening. He said, are you going to do what I tell you to do? She said, yes. He put a gag in her mouth, um, and put, um, like a leather chin hood thing on her. And, um, Said like she couldn't open her mouth or do anything. He laid her down and put the box over her head. So she has a wooden box, a gag, and this leather thing. And she um there's padding all over her face. She can't breathe. And then he puts a sleeping bag over her body. So now you don't know where it is. And she hears the wife and child come back. And in that moment, she goes, Oh my God, the wife knew everything that was gonna happen. And she said nothing. Like, what the fuck, what the fuck? And they're driving forever, 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 you know, to confuse her, I'm sure. She does hear the traffic of the city, so she knows she. She's back in the city, but she's like, What are they doing? She just doesn't understand why they're doing this to her, obviously. Um, he marched her into the basement, he stood her up on something, and then he ha- he took off all her clothes and he handcuffed her wrists, like um Jesus style, like on the hooks on the ceiling and released the box from under her. So she is now suspended. <laughs> Suspending. And she said it's like the worst pain she has ever experienced. And she's just hanging there and he starts whipping her and she's crying. I mean, it's like. It's awful. I can't imagine being someone um, experiencing anything like that. He told her to shut up and hang there. She was always blindfolded, always gagged, always restrained in some way. And she never saw anything but the bottom of the floor for months. Like only what she could see. From the bottom of the blindfold. She never saw anything. And then one time she like saw all these BDSM magazines. And then the couple was like fucking. So while she's like in pain suspended, they're like fucking. And she's like, who the fuck are these people? Yeah. And she said she was really naive. Like she was 20, but she did feel naive. And I'm gonna get ahead of myself for a little bit. Um, and just let you know, she lived through this for seven and a half years. Oh my God. He they kept her captive for seven and a half years. Um. Just like if you're r- listening to this now, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Just that's what I'm yeah. saying. The strength of this woman, yeah. because um, it's really fucked up. So the man is Cameron Hooker. He's 23 years old. Janice, the the woman, is 19 years old, and they old. are married. They are yeah. okay. And what we learn is um, later on that they started dating when she was 15 years old. And so he did this to her. And I I think that's, I was thinking a lot about like statutory rate and like the age of consent and all of that. And I think that's why it's important. They were saying how, you know, she's so young and she might've not had any sexual understanding before that and so this jam that could have been what she thought sex was yeah this is what it is it's violence never had a sexual positive Mm -hmm. experience and that's why pedophile (laughs) like that's why you groom young Vic that's like what this is all about so they'll do the things you like no matter how depraved and that's why we're we have to be so protective of young people and predators you know he unhooked her he put the head back in the box he shoved her into a crate from the head down chained her wrists and feet in the crate and he just left her there she was freaking out and she just said it was so hard because all night she had to gasp for air. Yeah. Like she couldn't breathe and so I think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in this way where it's like all of a sudden everything she's focused on is just survival. So she can't even think outside of anything besides like I need to breathe, I need to breathe, I need to breathe and everything was so hard and she was so exhausted by the time morning came. Gasping for air, um he removes her, puts her on the table Ties her, up. you know, there's just like a lot of torture happening. Um, the friends re- like the roommates are worried, the friend r- is worried, the parents haven't heard of her. Um, so on the fourth day, um, she's missing, the roommates file a missing person's report. Um, days turned into weeks. The, the family is, of course, sad. The parents start their own search, they keep re-driving her journey, filing missing person reports in every town that they can. At one time, they realize they stayed in a motel just blocks away from her. Oh, my gosh. And just no fucking idea. The sister said the police did what they can with like the little clues they had. I mean, what can you do? She just hopped in a car and vanished. And they would, you know, contact the mother once in a while. But then at some point, I think everyone. The trail went cold. Yeah. And they just thought of the worst. So now we're at two months in captivity. She and um, every night suspending her whipping her stretching her you know controlled when she ate slept bathroom just everything was about her there was a bedpan and a chair um like and he watched her do everything and she learned to survive as to obey mm-hmm. and that's what happened and one time he put a knife to her throat and said go ahead and scream and i'll cut your vocal cords and god spoke to her in that moment and said do not scream he is telling you the truth wow and so you know i'm someone that doesn't really believe in god i'm like not into religion at all and then hearing this story it's like i thought about bruce almighty and everyone i don't know if anyone's (laughs) seen that movie but everyone wishing god stuff and wanting things and it's like he's busy with people like this and i don't know about like if there was a god why would he let someone be in this but like listening her talk about her spiritual journey did really you know, not changed my mind, but I understood like what God is for. And it's for, um, it's to help people out of situations like this and find the light. And so it's like, stop wishing for dumb shit. Like he's busy. Yeah. Um, That's what I kept thinking. Like he's keeping her alive he built a more permanent cage under the stairs and that became her workshop and he would put her to work there. So she would like crack open walnuts or whatever he made her do. Um, but she was so happy because she had room. So it's like being in a cage under the stairs was freedom. So for she's her. just sitting, yeah, like happily cracking walnuts. Like this is the life for months months i mean fucking months um and then so january we're at eight months in captivity and the documentary goes and there's a darker turn and i'm like how could it get darker what the fuck so basically this is where it does get darker he's he invents she doesn't know this but he says there's an organization called the company and it is a human sex trafficking slavery organization. They're giant, powerful, underground. This is a contract. You're my slave for life. If you try to do anywhere, go anywhere, the company will get you. You will and die. And they'll get your family. And they'll get your family. And she signs um this contract to be a slave forever. It's
1: kind of like um, did you see uh, The
2: kidnapped- Little Mermaid? Yes.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> kidnapped in plain sight, I think is what it's called. No oh my God, you got to watch it. Like they would basically be like aliens are coming and like, we're the only ones that can stop it. And like, it, it's not the same thing as the company, but it's like, they got people really invested in this like grand conspiracy and was like, you're part of it. We need to do that. You know, like, yeah. I was just, also thinking about that you movie. Watch that. Is it Cloverfield
2: Lane with John Goodman? Uh, I don't know. That was a fucking, that was, <laughs> there was a tweet. That was a good movie. Um, whatever. So she asks, uh, what happens if I don't sign it? And he said, I'm going to make you wish you had. So and she knew what he is capable of and he signed it and um, he gave her a new name and everything, a nightgown to wear. And he started letting her out to do chores. Um, She was obviously look sound, speak when you're spoken to. And that's it, sir, master. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like ma'am, all of that if she ran away, she believed that the company would catch her and nail her to planks mm-hmm. and leave her in the woods. So yeah. she was very committed here. What was weird to um, Colleen was Janice treated Colleen like she was the other woman. Like Colleen wanted to be there. Like <sighs> Janice was competing and yeah. jealous. And, and, and like, uh, not to,
1: if you're going to mention this, but like, I know where exactly where you're going. Yeah, oh, just, you they had a contract. Uh, they had an agreement together, right. About what he could do with her.
2: Yeah basically like because Janice Was his victim for so long and she Was just tired she Said go get another slave But my puss like fucking is just For me because basically it was like If you get yourself another slave I want another baby like you can fuck me And get me pregnant and you can beat This other person so it was Survival for her because obviously we hate this woman Janice like it's really hard not to She's also abused this is super Layered and so It's yeah, it's hard. But um, the dark turn is he blindfolded her, gagged her, took her upstairs and uh, he started to rape her. And um, she was praying to God she wanted to get out of this. And then the wife was super mad that their deal was not being upheld. Yeah. Yeah. So he was really mad and the wife was even more mad, um, but he started raping Colleen when Janice was away or in secret or late at night. And he would make sure to always wear a condom Mm. um, to make sure that he did not impregnate her. So now we're at April, 11 months in captivity. He moves the family. This is where it becomes very SVU episode. So 11 months after captivity, he moves the family to a mobile home that's further away from people. He didn't like that there were neighbors in this house. The problem is there's no basement. Mm. And this is where he builds the under the bed coffin box that she spends 23 hours a day in. And it's under a waterbed.
1: Yeah. Like you're just sitting there thirsty and gasping for air for 23 hours a day under the
2: sloshing of a waterbed of these. Of these monsters about yeah. you. Janice gave birth to their second baby on that waterbed. She heard all of it. And he, she said that he let her out to look at the baby and then put her back in the box. And she was saying, I mean, it's, it's bad. She goes, one smell, one moment, one sound, and I'm back there. Yeah. Um, And there was a bedpan in the box. And she had to, like, kick it up with her leg until she can hold it and then move it under her butt. So go to the, go to the bathroom. And then kick it back to her feet and then just be in the box. Uh, uh. silent because he doesn't want any noise. I can't noise. hear about any more of that. I know. I'll <laughs> stop. It's It's really like I said, it's just um, so then she started taking care of the girls. She started and this, uh, you know, going out for jogs. Um, oh, so she's now she's allowed fully out. Yeah. OK. Now, you know, jogs um, around the neighborhood, taking care of the kids. People said she's a live in babysitter. Even the little kids had no clue. Um, he would sometimes take her out of the box and put her in the bathroom with a chain around her neck. And again, that was like a great a vacation. Gift. Yeah. And he gave her a Bible then. And that really um helped her and guided her. So we will we'll fast forward March. We're four years in captivity. The abductor let her phone home and tell the family that she was visiting. And this is the most power trip, fucked up. This is what's confusing to I'm sure everyone always, why didn't you run away? Why didn't you tell someone? Yeah, why didn't yeah, you? Yeah. And um later we'll meet the prosecutor. But she's like, yeah, she's acting crazy because who's not gonna act crazy after all yeah. this? Yeah. of course she's gonna not act normal how do you expect someone to act normal after going through all of this mm-hmm. and the expectations we put on victims is so fucked but this is really fucked and this is what the defense used in evidence when we get to the trial he dropped her off at her family's house overnight and left she didn't say a word the next that's how confident he was in his like power over her wow. yeah she took like photos with him, hugging, laughing. She, uh, yeah, he let her hang out with uh, the family. She was just so scared of the company and the family being hurt that she didn't say anything. And she went back with him and those photos and that experience was like what the defense tried to use to, you know, sway say that jury. she was consenting. And then to explain their relationship, it, that was her boyfriend. Yeah. And so that's why they took these romantic pictures together and the family. And the thing is, the sister was like, the clothes look weird. She's lost all this weight. She knew this is, again, instincts. But the, the mom took her aside and said, stop pressuring her. Stop pushing her. She's in a cult. And what if she doesn't come back? Yeah. So they wanted to play nice to, to make sure they could see her again. Yeah. And then even the dad is like, I can't believe I didn't write down the license plate. Right. If I just wrote down the license plate, we could have gotten her right there. Cause after that visit, they didn't see her again for three and a half years. Oh, So it it's just so fucked up. Oh but she God. got, she, you know, at least she got to see the family. Um, but she believed everything about the company. And they're obviously all upset that they haven't been able to see her. And then she thought the worst was over. But no, he like didn't like that. She got to see her family and he locked her back into the box for like 23 hours a day because he gave her too much power, he thought. So she was back to fucking being in a nightmare situation. Again, more freedoms. He started letting her sleep on the floor. He started letting her go to church and she got a job at a motel cleaning. Now, the wife finally breaks and she goes to the pastor and she doesn't expose everything, but she just says, We're in a love triangle. And the pastor goes, God would not approve. So the wife goes to the motel and says, Listen, Cameron, there is no company. Cameron's not part of the company. It's all lies. The contract was fake. And obviously, Colleen's whole world is rocked. Oh, my God. Um, She goes, how did I believe this? She starts crying a bunch. We're on August 10th, 1984. Um, She's like, how did you let me do this for so long? Why didn't Janice say anything? So while Cameron worked, Colleen boarded a bus for home and like a A final act of defiance she called him and goes I'm not yours anymore like go fuck yourself I control my life not you he bawled like a baby she got on a bus and left so he was crying um and she's finally free the joy was overwhelming she kept being like I bet everyone on the bus can just see how fucking happy I am but she feels foolish and guilty obviously because like how did I believe that how did I let him do it so for so long why didn't I run away I can't even imagine all the feelings um she moved in with her dad um but she refused to go to the police she's like i'm done i'm back i'm happy i want to be live my life i want to put it behind me and she refuses to go to the cops like she's just not interested in that she talked regularly to janice though and janice begged her to go to the police but she just didn't want to janice begged her to why didn't janice just go she probably fear of implicating herself because she was part of it exactly oh but she was like scared constantly she went to work with her dad all the time so three months later you know she's going to church she's trying to date again she gets a job cleaning Janice then takes the two daughters leaves the guy Um, she was crying and Janice goes to the police and she finally turns on him. And this, I I know it's like, how does this get worse? But she also admits that there's another victim.
1: Yes. Well, one little thing was that at the very beginning of being in captivity, when she was in the coffin, like under the bed, they put a picture of this other woman who had been missing, whose body was never found there and said, like, this is our first victim. If you do anything, you're going to end up like her. Right. Well, I knew that the photo
2: was there, but she yeah. didn't know what it I didn't realize that they were that they told her. I think they the told her. I think that was like a
1: deterrent. Like don't um, don't go, don't try anything.
2: But there was definitely yeah, she said that like like with the coffin and the panels, it's just so hard to understand there was like her purse and then this photo of this girl. Now, this is where it's just saw, so Mary Elizabeth, they called her Marliz. Um she went missing. He wanted to do everything the same. It's the same thing. The hitchhiking, the wood box on the head, all of that. But his plan was to cut her vocal cords so she wouldn't make noise. Oh, my God. And she died. Oh, my God. OK. With this homemade surgery he wanted oh, to do. Wow. And that's when it hit Colleen when he was like, if you make a noise, I will kill you. And God being like, don't yeah. do it. It finally hit her. Like, wow. he's done it before. Yeah. But poor Marlis. um, And the body has never been found and, you know, Cameron's not going to tell anyone. He's rotting in jail, like I said. So yeah, Janice tried to find where the body was, but like it's just it's an expansive desert land yeah. you know it's fucking california off of a highway but oh is are they were they in california they weren't in oregon anymore no it's all in i'm sorry it's red bluff california wow okay yeah and she's from riverside california it's all california okay. yeah she was just in eugene for a little bit of her hippie time all right so we can't find Mar um you know we don't want to make generalizations about all police on this show but they fuck up a lot and here is a situation that makes us frustrated and and want to not like cops. They don't like that Janice is... They're like one cop legit was like, she's a nutbag. They, they used a word that was so fucked up. Like, you know, she was coo- 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 choo, just, and it's like, <laughs> yes, she's a a be- B like, yeah. so they were like mad. They are like, why is she reliable? I don't know. And that's why I get so mad when people ask victims, like, why don't you go to the police? And it's like, because the police are mad if you're stressed, they don't believe you if you're not stressed. And it's like, yeah. there's no way to be a perfect victim. They always find a way to like, fuck with you. But they were just mad. And they couldn't really rely on Janice to be um, a good witness, but they gave her immunity. Uh And they gave her a deal and she was way more open, but it came down to Colleen. They needed Colleen to get this person because Janice is a fucking lunatic. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. They said basket case. The men are just like, she's a fucking basket case. We can't put her on the stand. (laughs) And then when Colleen is on the stand in the future, the prosecutor's like, it just sucked because she was so calm calm and collected and detached that the jury needs a little tears and anger to believe her. So it's like the cops don't believe you if you're hysterical and then the jury needs you to cry or they don't think it actually happened to you and colleen was very clear she goes i knew i couldn't get hysterical because then i can't do my job and my job was to explain every single thing that happened to me to put this motherfucker away so he's charged you know they go to jail um christine mcguire she is the prosecutor and she was the only female prosecutor in like all the fucking land and thank god she got this case it just came on her desk um that sounds dirty but (laughs) But she knew she had a lot of work against um, her. And one, she had to prove that Colleen was really held against her will because Mm -hmm. the defense was going to say she loved it. So the box was brought into the courtroom. And this is where I talk about her strength so much, where it's like all the device, the torture, everything was brought in and they blew up a giant photo fo- because he took photos. He's a fucking sicko. So there were photos of her just like young, naked, hanging, suspended, whipped up. And to the point where there was one juror in this documentary, Debbie King, who was like one of the guys in the jury bo- box was like, oh, can we take that photo down? Like just looking at you that can't photo, even look at it, let alone be locked in a 100 degree box for 23
1: hours a day like in the heat yeah men can't handle the shit that women have to go through
2: sorry i'm like almost (laughs) done i promise but the prosecution brought models and like volunteers to get into the box and just show how everything was used um janice does go on the stand she talks about how this is happening to her since she was 15 years old he hung her up while she was pregnant no and like did fucked up shit to her It's just the most... It's just, like, fucked up. Yeah, it's when you think of the
1: worst, worst, worst. It's, like, Ted Bundy and this guy.
2: Yeah, and just thinking, like, is there someone now that's, like, in a situation like this? And how do we protect people? And how do we get these psychopaths out of the world? I don't know. Um, But she was direct, cold, and matter-of-fact. And she needed to do that. But Christine McGuire gets it. And we're so lucky she was the prosecutor. She legit is, like... What Christine understood was all of that emotion was beat out of her. She yeah. couldn't show emotion. Right, right. She couldn't cry. She couldn't scream. So she got the ability to show emotion beat out of her because that was for survival. Um, and then The defense goes at her like you're a trollop. You were hitchhiking. You deserve this. You went with your family. You loved it. And they start being like, you called him when you were free. And she did. She's fucked. She wrote him love letters. There is evidence to kind of show it. And then when he went on the stand, he was very much like. I did kidnap her and I did torture her and I did rape her, but then she liked it. So I don't even know what kind of defense that even is, but Colleen said she was nervous. She was sitting there in the trial being, and can you also imagine how strong she has to relive this with him staring at her? Well, and at one point
1: in a little thing I read about this, they talked about how he, he was building um, an area in his house, like a basement or something to have more slaves. He wanted to have more slaves. And that was reminding me of Kimmy Schmidt, like that guy who told them you can't come out. There's a comet. There's like a, there's a big, uh, comet coming towards the world or whatever. And you have to keep doing like pumping this crank so you can stay alive. I mean, they made that,
2: they made a situation like this into a comedy. Which is pretty. That's a big talent. Yeah. Because um, I, you know, we're caught. we This is supposed to be like a fanfic show, but this is like <laughs> very hard to make light of. You know. But she was so quiet during all this that the kids didn't even know she was in the house. Yeah. Can you? I mean, we're both chatters. We're complaining. <laughs> I mean, I would. I don't. I think that's ever. Even the cops. Everyone in this documentary is like, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I would be dead a long time no. ago. Like, how do you survive? I would all have, of this? I would have been like, this isn't worth it. Yeah, and Colleen is such a hero on top of all this. And you know, I'm glad Janice came forward because like you mentioned, he was building a new place to torture people and he was going to grab another chick. Like there was no way he was not going to grab another young woman. He was building more superior torture devices and more secretive and outside the house. So they really saved women's lives. It's like, you want to really understand how someone gets to be like this
1: man. Like, how does that happen? What switches in your brain that you need to torture people for your pleasure? It's so weird. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, it's, we could read a book
2: well and i i was having personal dilemmas because i was like the porn i watch uses all of these (laughs) equipment but it's consensual consensual. and and dramatized of course but it is like what is that and why wasn't that enough for him like why does it need to be full on because i was like i wonder if it was me if i could be like i'm kind of into this can you just be a little nicer to me i don't i don't know what i would do but obviously the jury is like why are you jogging you're shopping you're going to church why didn't you do anything and so um we're and she felt like she was was on trial colleen legit was like are they gonna fucking believe this like am i is, is this yeah. gonna fucking happen like she was not very happy and christine knew she had a really uh, big hill to climb and she was able to explain like of course she loved him he gave her a bible food water and she learned that with her love she got freedom the more love she gave the more freedom she got the more grateful she was the more love she had for him yeah He had complete control. And to me, it's like, how dumb is this jury? Like, why don't you get, why do you expect her to be like, I'm out of here. Like yeah, she's been yeah. whipped for years yeah, in silent. Yeah. It's just like so fucked up. I'm so fucking mad. So Dr. Chris Hatch is the forensic psychiatrist and thank God for him. He explained all of the questions that the jury had before they were even able to like discuss it. So he talked about Stockholm syndrome, coercion, brainwashing. Um, how does it affect a person to be broken like that? Um, how do you coerce people to not leave and all of that? So he really helped bring this trial together and there was five and a half weeks of deliberation everyone was pretty numb it took a toll everyone here the jury deliberated for the oh no the whole trial was the whole was trial five, no, five only and two and a half, half days of deliberation oh, okay, okay on halloween Ooh, spooky 19 19- <laughs> Thank you for making it funny. Um, yeah, 1985, two and a half days of deliberation, which seems a lot, but he he was found guilty on ten out of the eleven counts and he they said that he just did an awe shocks like he was shocked and his defense also that was that the two women were lesbian lovers and they're just trying to kick him out and they've turned on him it's oh my just like God. I, I bet there was one guy on the jury that was like i don't know they seem kind of demonic i don't know <laughs> like um but he was sentenced to 104 years in prison and that's what the parole thing is making me so mad even being like if you get three digit years in prison you don't get you, to come out for covid Ugh. um, and the judge, again, said this is the most evil thing ever. And, you know, they still haven't not found Mary, which is upsetting. But I'm just so thankful for the prosecutor and that it yeah. was a female. I'm so thankful for the forensic psychologist and that Colleen was so brave and was able to testify in um, such a way. But she did, like I said earlier, feel guilt and all of this and anxiety. And the psychologist told her. It doesn't matter what you did or said while you were in captivity because you survived and you lived. Yeah. And Olivia Benson says that to all the victims, like when they come to her, they're they're
1: like, I should have screamed. I should have run. I should have done that. And Olivia Benson always says, you did what you had to do. You
2: survived. And that's why, you know, with like, Not the hatred of police, but like the issues with police right now. It is so nice to hear about these forensic professionals, these detectives, prosecutors that go above and beyond for victims. And this psychiatrist could have been on the stand and left. And he took the time to make sure to let her know. And she said that freed her that that took so much weight off her shoulders again not a fairy tale she does have a child she's so excited about it she's been married four times she says it is hard for men to because they feel helpless where it's like she's like i'm gonna have these problems forever and men think it's gonna be great and we get married and like these issues continue and they just can't handle it but she loves jesus she loves being with her family and i do want to say it doesn't not only psychological trauma she's had surgeries because of her shoulder she has back pain spinal pain her body took a physical toll after all That's insane. In 2015, he tried to get early parole. They made sure that did not happen. And she did attend his parole hearing, which is amazing. They tried to get Janice to comment. And well, the jail, obviously. (laughs) Obviously, the fucking psychopath did not want to. Janice had a weird quote why she didn't want to participate in the documentary. She said, no matter what I would say, the media would twist my words and that would portray me as a violent person. I am the gentlest person and I always have been.
0: Okay. I and mean, I don't know what that
2: means. She's also a victim, but I mean, she's probably like, I never laid a hand on this girl, but she also
1: just never did anything. Well, I mean, I guess in the end, the reason it didn't last forever is because she
2: stopped it, Janice you look at it that way i just wonder what is she def- i just wonder what she wants to say that she can't say because she thinks people would turn against would her. twist it yeah that's like a mystery to me yeah
1: well i read also that they live colleen and janice live very close to each other they so, don't they don't interact but they so. don't speak they don't speak. yeah and it's like of course they don't speak what are, you, what are they like gonna get on the phone and be like remember that time like their whole history together is
2: traumatic
1: and horrible
2: yeah and i just want to leave um you know this has been an intense one but she just really hopes her story helps people so they can move on yeah because she wants to move on and um yeah so that's why she feels it's important to come forward as a survivor and that's amazing well yeah thank you everybody
1: for sticking with us through that tough one but and thanks for the info lisa we're gonna have an interview with someone from the show
2: All right, guest time, motherfuckers, um, and it is a really big deal. Um, this was a very thrilling interview. We've been waiting with scheduling everything for kind of months to be able to talk to our guest, and I, you know, I put on eyeliner. I was thrilled. I was ready, and then the, my internet stopped working. We literally talked for twenty five minutes before on
1: Lisa's perfect internet, and then the moment that this guest popped into the Zoom room. She was gone.
2: I was gone. I was panicked. I tried to fix things, hot spots, unplugging, plugging and nothing worked. And so I I did get to talk to him, which was amazing. And I called into the Zoom. So if you don't know, that's that is an option. um, Thanks (laughs) to our team. Uh, So I was I was still thrilled to hear his voice. I was uh, fully in. But as soon as the interview ended, I did um, cry pretty hysterically for a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then for three days was in a dark depression. And then people were like, what's wrong. And because of everything going on in the world, I couldn't be honest and be like, well, my internet went out. Um, and that's what (laughs) caused (laughs) a full nervous breakdown, but, um, it was incredible. And Kara did get to, um, look at him the whole time. I did. So (laughs) without further
1: ado, uh, we are, I mean, this guest truly, we've had some amazing guests on this podcast. This guest truly needs no introduction. Um, You know him. You love him. He's your favorite alcoholic captain. He has been on 331 episodes of your favorite show, Law & Order SVU. Guys, please check out our interview with Dan Florick, a.k.a. Captain Cragen. You've been on 331 episodes of our favorite television show. I can't believe we were even able to come up with a list of questions for you that wasn't just lines of us screaming. We're so excited. No, that's good. <laughs> so I guess you just mentioned before we officially got started, Lisa is by a phone right now. And we were saying this reminds us of the episode 911 where Benson's on with the little girl. And you said one of my favorite episodes. So that was one of our first questions for you was, do you have favorite episodes or episodes that have like haunted you?
0: Oh, wow. Well, that's a big question. (laughs) um, I mean, there are favorite episodes. 911 is one of them. Uh, There's one in this first year, Hysteria, Mm -hmm. was one that I thought was very, very special. But also, you know, the, the big problem is I don't remember all the names.
1: Right, of course. Of the
0: episodes. To a certain extent, you know, they're usually one word and they, very kind of dramatic words together and um i even remember looking at it might have been this one slaves yeah there was something i had with stabler where i said well let me get this straight so there might have been something with a woman by some guy somewhere in new york <laughs> that's kind of every episode yeah right <laughs> you know certain ones mean more to me um I mean, I remember a couple that were where I was featured more, you know, and of course, those are always uh, ones that stay with me.
1: We both just recently rewatched Russian Brides, which was one where you were heavily featured because you went undercover and you sort of gave a lot of dramatic backstory about Kragen while you were undercover. And that was like a really that felt like a very you centric episode.
0: Well, that is one of the favorites. Russian Brides is. There were so many things about that. And as the episode developed, then I was involved more and more. And I love the fact that if you go back to see, I can't even remember if it was SBU or the original, where I have a story about where my wife died in a plane crash. I think
1: that's an original okay. because I I believe that in the like encyclopedic history of your character of Kragen. That happens in original, but, and then that's when you move to SVU later. And that's, you sort of allude to that being why you don't drink anymore.
0: Right. And I think that's a big part of it, which is also in slaves that comes up, but you know, I had to start digging back about all this stuff. I do remember that right now we're talking about three different things, but <laughs> I will say that was a big part of it that when my wife died, it was a bit part of the story that I always thought I would be the one who would have to make the call saying or you know that I'm gone as a cop and it was that my wife who was a flight attendant as I remember and again you brought up also the alcoholism which I think was always a big part of his character yes
2: well we've had some listeners send in photos of you at the precinct uh drinking cartons of milk yeah. And we were wondering <laughs> is that to aid in the alcohol storyline, or does and love milk? Did you love milk? How did that come about?
0: You know what? These are things that sometimes are just written into an episode. Uh, there were a few things. I would drink milk, but I wanted to drink it out of the carton. Mm-hmm. I would drink tea, but I never used the handle on the cup. These were just personal choices. I think it was really just about, this is a guy who's fighting with it and it's in this episode. And that's what came back to me, right? We all had to sit down and do the psycho And I remember Audra McDonald is brilliant and amazing and a Broadway legend, but she was the shrink if I remember. And there was something in there where I go like, why don't you just ask the question? You want to know if I drink or if I'm challenged to drink. And anyway, that was a big part of it that I remember as much as Andrew McCarthy, who was brilliant in it, who kind of adopted this woman, you know, but held her as a slave. Anyway, I'm all over the place right now. But my point is (laughs) drinking milk was not about, you know, alcoholism or anything. It was just. Um, the way he drank certain things that weren't alcoholic.
1: It was funny because people were writing us in their ideas like, oh, he probably has heartburn because of all of his years on the job. And like, you know, all these theories about why you were drinking the milk. But I guess it was just some written into the script that Cragen likes milk.
0: Well, (laughs) Dan Floric had heartburn, but uh, (laughs) we we could make that work, too. Yeah. (laughs)
1: I mentioned to you before, we've talked to uh, another cast member who told us that you were a real prankster on the set. Uh, We wanted to know if you would care to comment on
0: that. Well, um, (laughs) you know, how far do we go with this? The point is this. (laughs) This is what I will say. Okay, You guys, you know and love SVU. So you know what we deal with. Right. So I felt there had to be a little bit of a gallows humor. So we had to find places where we could release and laugh and have a good time without ever, ever making fun of what we were doing. So I will say that, yes, whenever we could, well, if I could place a whoopee cushion, it would happen. But things along those lines, and also you could plan mistakes in the lines. You know what I mean? Just just to have a little bit of fun, especially in the in, in the most dark moments, and uh, I just think it was necessary. That's all. But I was, if there was anyone who who was the prankster, yes, it it would have <laughs> been me. I also thought I was very very careful about where I, where I would do that. I'm sure you had discretion.
1: Did you any specific little pranks st- uh, come to mind? Like something you did to Mariska?
0: <laughs> no, I think usually with Mariska, it wouldn't be anything like the quote, whoopee cushion thing. I would sometimes do a line wrong on purpose, just to throw her. And it was always treasured, you know, and she knew, and that was it. And she gave it back, by the way.
2: Yeah. Well, you mentioned Audra McDonald, who we are a big fan of. Are there other guest stars that came in that you were super excited to work with or had a great time with on set
0: having done the original and svu there have been so many amazing uh, guests um john ritter oh yeah um, henry winkler julie bowen yeah these who, are all
1: great episodes
0: Yes. And and that was an early one, too. And she was terrific. There's dozens and dozens of people who were guest stars who have become huge stars. And I guess this is what I'll say. All these episodes between the two shows, over 400 episodes, I worked with people who became big stars. I worked with people who should have become big stars. And It was always, I think it was Joe Stern who said early on, you know, we don't hire stars, we make stars. And there have been so many people who have, you know, gone on to great things after this show. And I've always found any given episode, any scene, I mean, to me, they're they're treasures. You know what I mean? Um, right. It's not about somebody. You know what I mean? It's about how good was that in that day, that moment. Um, it became a place where people wanted to be a guest star on the show. And that's where I think it became, I, I think the people are naysayers, used to call it a uh, law and order special guest star unit. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was a really good thing for us. And I thought that all kinds of people who normally even didn't do television wanted to be on our show because look, it was a really, it's a smart show. It's a smart, challenging, interesting show. And the guest star usually gets the best role in the episode. You know,
1: we heard also that you lived in LA the entire time that you were filming the show. So how did that work? Are you like the highest level on Delta of any person in the world? Like, do you just flew back and forth? Like, what was the story?
0: There were a lot of miles. I got <laughs> a lot of miles. But I lived in Venice, California, bought a place in New York. And so I lived in both places pretty much half a year. There were a couple million miles. I I haven't used them all yet. Oh my God. Um and the truth is I can't wait to get back to New York. And I have so many causes and people that I support in New York and um I can't wait to get back.
2: The years between Law & Order and SVU, were you surprised by the offer to be the captain um, on this new show? Was this in the works for a while? Do you remember how that came
0: about? Well, I was in prison. And no, you're kidding. um,
2: (laughs) I just got so
0: quiet. (laughs) um, It was it was a surprise. Dick Wolf called and he said it was going to be a show called Sex Crimes. And he wanted to bring back the captain, and then in the interim, there was it became Law and Order Special Victims Unit. At that moment, when they first called me, it wasn't going to be, you know, part of the um, Law and Order brand. It was going to be a oh, new show. Wow! And it was going to be called Sex Crimes.
1: I think they made a good move.
0: Oh, oh! i be <laughs> calling it. A- I think they did too. <laughs> Again, my initial take was I didn't want to do it, and then it just clicked, and I said, okay, I'm in, and I think it worked out that way. But um, some of those episodes, especially in that first maybe 10, 12 years, some of the best stuff I think I've ever done and, and the best the show has been, that's my take.
2: How did you feel when you got the script for the Delia Ganzel, storyline and being framed with Carissa? Like, were you excited to do all that? Because those are very meaty episodes. And I think that was like so shocking for fans because
1: you're sort of like beloved as this like dad of the precinct. And then you're like framed with a dead sex worker in your bed. Like it's it was I mean, that whole arc is crazy.
2: It was a season finale so then we had to wait months and months to see what happened. Oh, yeah. I mean it was nuts. I just that was a really <laughs> crazy storyline that we loved.
0: It was and I'll tell you what this is um well I want to put this carefully. This is always about when contracts are coming up and that kind of thing. And it's like if you're not going to work it out then Craigen did it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever. And actually, it goes to slaves and they'll go there because that was a thing I remember when we all sat and talked with the shrink. Somebody was going to go. <gasps> and that's how that thing was kind of set up.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: So, and I think we all know what happened.
1: Yeah. Um, well, that's but that's very interesting that that because like we really liked that sort of runner of Audra McDonald interviewing all of you. And, you know, there's this how you all handle the job. And that's just an interesting sort of business. Uh, the other side of it to to consider.
2: We also find it really funny how much everyone hates therapy and the psychologist, especially Stabler. <laughs> like they're just so mad when they have to get analyzed. And I it just always made me laugh a lot.
0: Well, and you know what's fascinating about all of this too—that's why Stabler was ultimately gone. I mean, in the storyline, you know what I mean—he he shot too many people yeah. <laughs> or punched too many people, and all of that. But it's TV, right? right? I mean, I don't know much about it, but I understand he's coming back.
1: Yeah. Well, he's doing a spinoff called I think there's going to be a law and order organized crime that he's the head of. And so I think him coming back to SVU is like a little bit of a tease to that.
0: Sure, sure.
1: So that's what a lot of fans are waiting on.
0: And I understand that. See, and that's the cool thing about fans. And they're very forgiving. Yeah, you know. He punched out more people than anyone in the history of NYPD, but they found a way to bring him back. Yeah. It's funny.
1: We always like talk about whether like, I don't know, will Stabler be a little bit more woke coming back into the, like after all these years, like, will he be a little bit more sensitive and
0: well, he has to be more woke. (laughs) I, I wouldn't go to sensitive.
2: You mentioned the fans and, um, I am assuming the SVU fans are pretty intense. Um, Are there any stories you have of in the wild of fans approaching you or any wild interactions?
0: You know, I'm always surprised when somebody because. My everyday life, I don't think about this and it has been a while, but even while I was doing it, I mean, I'm an actor, I, I, you know, I've done. Five hundred episodes of television. I've done a couple dozen movies. I've done a, almost a hundred plays. When people will stop me and just look and go, Captain, and <laughs> I even have a moment where I'm like, "Excuse me," and um, but the other side of that is that I get it. And like I said, SBU is part of my DNA. You know, there there's all these episodes, and I may be recognized two or three times a week or two or three dozen times a week and i think the good thing is this for the most part i had a wonderful wonderful time and a wonderful experience and so if people are pleasant i'll sit and talk with them and i'll you know uh, i'll talk about whatever episode they want to talk about it's a part of my life and and it mattered to them and i can't tell you how many times People have come up to me and said, SVU brought our family together. They'll say that they didn't always get along as a family, but they would always watch SVU and then they could discuss it. And I think all the law and orders, but especially SVU, was perfect for that, meaning there was usually at least two, three, four, five takes, right? You would have the cops, you would have the DA's, you would, have, they all had a point of view. And depending on how you looked at it, each one could be correct, right? And I think that made for wonderful discussions, and especially with families.
1: Swinging over a little bit more to the funny parts of the show, because you, you get so many of these deadpan one-liners. Like, I feel like you have so much of the comedy in the show almost. Like, you'll be like, Olivia, the mother's demanding she be questioned in a penis-free environment. You know, like you get
2: all these, like... Kara, I wrote lines. a penis one, too. I wrote, it's all fun and games till somebody loses a penis.
0: <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I enjoy those very much. What I will say is I think Jerry Orbach got those lines Yes, like in the original. Yes, But I do like that because um, they did give me a lot of those lines and i think that was pretty i I, that was one of the favorite parts for me you know because a lot of it was kind of dry i was just saying when i had the the episodes where i said i was just directing traffic (laughs) i would say well ask this ask the uncle ask the monkey's uncle do it again you know and that's all he did but the ones where i really got something to do and that were spicy like that. I always enjoyed that. Yeah. Always. Here's the other side of this. I talked to all of these people. We met with these people. We walked into a room and it was uh, floor to ceiling file cabinets of the most, um, well, heinous is the word they use, right? Cases. We couldn't even show you most of these cases. You know what I mean? This world is really, really, potentially pretty horrendous and um that's why I always felt whatever we could do again I'll use the phrase shine a light on these things where we could make a difference and that to me was uh always very important
2: and you have I feel like I've learned so much about the show and I mean through the show I've learned so much yeah yeah mm-hmm. I do want to mention a lighter moment in the show's history. And I don't know if you know that this is one of your most famous moments. It's a GIF. It's the background on my cell phone, actually. Um, it's you with the monkey and the monkey coming out of the basketball and giving you a hug. And we would like to know <laughs> if you have any memories of that.
0: Well, here, I'm going to give you three things. Two things. Yes. Right up. <laughs> I, I am dating the monkey. <laughs> uh, the no the monkey. Wait a minute. Let me see if I can find this. Hold on. Hold on here real quick. I don't think... Is it here? Give me a second. Um, okay. Can you see this?
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Kara, take screenshots. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Okay, wait. Hold on. Dan, Dan, Dan. Hold on. I'm just taking a quick picture of this. This is amazing. He has basically an oil painting of him and the monkey.
0: Right. Now... <laughs> But what I'm going to say, when I left the show, that was one of the things that was one of my favorite gifts.
1: Who gave that That to you? That that was
0: done. That monkey's name was Kimba. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I actually had to have playdates with Kimba so that... um,
1: He would get used to you and stuff?
0: Yes. (gasps) Because, you know, it was the fake basketball and all that stuff. And... When it was thrown, then we had the fake basketball and I had to open it and he had to come up. And so he had to get to know me. And his favorite snack was gummy bears. <laughs> oh so we would meet and we would have play dates, three, I think, three play dates, and I would give him gummy bears. And the other thing is this, we have to get this. He would he would do this, he would slap my head all the time. <laughs> And steal my glasses. I was wearing glasses when we weren't shooting. And I remember the trainer said, you have to tell him no. You have to treat him, you know, like you would a dog that you were training. Right. So I had to say, you know, Kimba, no. So anyway, we got to know each other. And other than him pooping on me a couple of times, uh, because he had to wear those, what do you call them, like granimals? in the rehearsals, in that moment, I gotta tell you, I think they cut the line, which broke my heart. When the monkey came out, the line in the script was, I said, the monkey's okay. (laughs) And I think they cut the line, but he knew me well enough that his arms reach right up and he hugs me (laughs) and I was, I cried. I was like, dude,
1: that's amazing.
0: We're bonding. Yeah. Which comes on to uh, yeah, anyway. I'm doing a whole thing right now with me working with animals. That's a whole different thing, but that's a big part of it. Because that episode was called wildlife. And there were many, many animals involved. But I gotta tell you, well, it's kind of odd to say one of my favorite um actors I worked with is a monkey. Um, <laughs> I think he's a baby white-faced gibbon if I'm remembering correctly, but uh, Kimba.
1: Wow. You know so much about Kimba. That's amazing.
0: Well, I, like I say, we didn't kiss, but (laughs) it was, he was a really sweet little dude. And for me, it was a moment in an episode and, you know, I rehearsed with him as I would have with um, Mariska or Chris well, I never gave them gummy bears, but the the point was in that moment, I just thought, wow, that went well. And it has always been a sweet thing for me. It's been one that people actually love that and remember it.
1: I mean, Lisa can't forget it. It's the background of her phone. Every time she gets <laughs> a phone call, she sees you and Kimba. This is amazing. Okay.
2: This is like, oh my God, we couldn't have asked for a better story. Oh my gosh. We would like to know... If you um, committed a crime, who would you like to be your defense attorney?
0: Oh, wow. You mean from the show?
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, Wow. Defense attorneys. Wasn't Mariska's husband a defense attorney?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: I'm going to go with him because um, most of them I didn't have a good time with. So I think Peter, I would go with Peter.
2: (laughs) Okay. Trevor Langan is your answer. Great. Yes. If you called nine one one, which detective would you like to show up?
0: Uh, you know, depending on what it was, it would have to be um, Elliot Stabler, <laughs> yeah. because uh, just because, yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
2: And then I just I like to know uh, your favorite craft service snacks, like the things they they knew they knew they needed ready for you.
0: Well, you know what? There were oh wow, there were so <laughs> many. Now, here's one I'll give you very quickly. It was, we used to call it a Maloney meal because he wanted, it was like um, ground turkey, brown rice, and, um, and a green vegetable. But for me, I liked this crazy <laughs> mix of popcorn and pepperoncini.
1: Oh, interesting. I mean, you know I'm going to try it immediately. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you got to try it. I'm serious. Try it.
1: Lisa. Yes. I can't believe that we got to talk to him. I mean, a true dream. Um, yeah,
2: I love it. It was it was beautiful. It, it's just amazing. I, I just can't. Yeah, I guess I'm stuttering. I don't know. We what to are say. going to post on our
1: Instagram the photo of Captain Craig and holding the oil painting of him and the monkey from the episode Wildlife, a.k.a. Kimba.
2: <laughs> and to know that Kimba likes gummy bears, it's like, am I Kimba? You know, I just <laughs> like, we're all Kimba. We are all Kimba. <laughs> and we need pepperoncini and popcorn that's going to be our when we <laughs> after all this coven mess when i finally get to see you in person we're having a pepperoncini popcorn we night. should just
1: have a craft services party we're together where we eat everything people have recommended to us yes all I would love of that. the craft services
2: also i loved learning that so many of our cliffhangers that keep us wanting more are truly contractual things oh, and all, yeah. like like that like we're like what did Moni? what happened and it's like um it's a contract you've done Bitches. So, like <laughs> I did like learning that if it, if Dan Florig didn't behave, like would he would he have gotten away with the cry or he didn't commit the cry. But you know, it's just like interesting. You forget about the business. Would they have
1: sent Captain Cragen off having murdered a sex worker? <laughs> that would have yeah. been the end of his contract. But that was an amazing interview. We are kind of like still shocked, and the episode was so harrowing, obviously there's not so many lessons to learn like not that many people are going to encounter the evil that this man Cameron Hooker is but Colleen Stan is a true I mean like hero like a, a example of strength beyond the, anything I've ever heard of
2: yeah I don't even know what to say yeah uh people are fucking bad and always trust your gut I think that's uh something to yes. always um keep in mind with Big things, little things, always just like I think as women, especially we've been taught to not listen to our voices or that we're emotional or that we're wrong and like second guess ourselves and um, just an always reminder that your gut is real and true and to always try to follow it. And fuck being polite. Fuck being polite. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: that's kind of it for us for our postmortem today. Let's hop into what would Sister Peg do? On this week's What Would Sister Peg Do, which is our little segment where we give you guys a resource or an organization that you can lend your eyes, ears, or wallets to, Uh, this week we... I strongly, strongly would urge you to write to the California Parole Board and to Governor Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, to express your concerns about the potential early release of Cameron Hooker, who is the man who held Colleen Stan captive in a box for seven years. So this is not a person that can be among us in society. And I've read interviews with Colleen where she confirmed that she does not believe that he will ever be rehabilitated and she does not feel safe with him being out. So, in our show notes, we have um phone number, mailing address and emails where you can contact the California parole board and the governor just expressing that you would like to contest him being released early for COVID-19 purposes.
2: And a reminder from our episode Counterfeit that Craig Pyre, a murderer, is also up for parole same state and same information. So, yeah, why don't you knock out both of them, right? Yeah. Great idea. And that's what would Sister Peg do for this week? Lisa, what's our episode next week? So our next week's episode is amazing. It is Mean from season five, episode 17. And you can watch it Hulu, Peacock and always, you know, you can subscribe, leave us some stars, have fun. We have an email. You can let us know what episode you'd like us to chat about. Or please tell us if you're related to anyone that's ever been on SVU or if you've met anyone from SVU. We're very interested. See you next week, guys. That's Messed Up is an exactly right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on
1: Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for
2: sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer and fellow SVU superfan, Hannah Kyle Creighton. Thank you to our heroes, Stephen Ray Morris
1: and Annalise Nelson, our engineers. To Henry Kapersky, musical extraordinaire for our theme song. To our artistic queen, Carly Jean Andrews, for all of our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff,
2: Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun.